right, Sebastian, let's start this off that you're an illustrator, you're a multimedia artist, I guess you could say. Um, so let's explain to everybody what that means before we start diving in some things right here. Definitely. Yeah. No. Um, and you so, might have to tell me, talk to me like I'm five years old to tell me. I know like the, the really vague <laughs> definition of it. So no worries. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is that the whole multimedia artist title is really what anyone makes of it. As long as it delves within the realm of you creating something to be showcased on the Internet. I think that's what people's kind of public definition of it is. Um, you know, in the past, I've been a book publisher, and that means it's been in both the digital and physical formats. Um, you said talk to you like you're five. Basically, that means you can read a book and open it, or you could look at it on your phone. Okay. I like that. <laughs> and yeah, so from there, it really kind of, um, well, from there, and then the COVID pandemic hitting that really spawned off into other forms of art that I ended up publishing because suffice to say, nobody was publishing books anymore, or at least they weren't publishing it through me. Okay. Um, so that was kind of a letdown. And then that's when I started going into, you know, graphic design, um, videography, like video editing, um, just things that I put together to make these books in the beginning. And now it's basically just being operated off of separate parts, you know, um, just sort of a, like as a freelance, uh, fr like a freelance publisher, you could say. Okay. That makes sense. So like when you say freelance, is that like Fiverr and stuff where you're throwing out? <laughs> unfortunately yeah unfortunately like that's kind of what everyone's mind turns to is fiverr i have had zero luck with that site um i'm not going to promote it i'm not going to advocate using it but i'm also not going to diss it in the same breath because a lot of people find success on it i think i just got unlucky but it's essentially just that it's little little tasks little you know transactional tasks that you do um you know whether it be creating a picture, making a logo, editing a video, uh, making a soundtrack, you know, like the list goes on, but, uh, that's what it's been like. So you dabble in everything. There's some people who would probably just stay with creating logos and, but it seems like you do video and everything. Is that how you've always been or you just like to stay it's, broad? And yeah. Like it's difficult for me to really stick with one subject. And admittedly I did that with books. All I wanted to publish were books. And, you know, with COVID and also like with a little bit of introspection, like realizing that this wasn't what my audience was interested in, it really made me take a step back and say, okay, well, what other artistic mediums can I tackle that my audience would be interested in? And that's when it started snowballing. So when you say published books, were you publishing like self-publishing or... I'm not really sure. No, 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 no. So yeah, there's a sort of a uh, discrepancy when it comes to that because self-publishing and, um, and publishing are two different things. Okay. Now, yeah, like it's very easy to sort of think that you're like, oh, he's a one man job. It's self-publishing. But what I was doing was I was, you know, taking the files, you know, like the manuscripts of the books mm -hmm. and putting them through like online retailers and then those services were selling the books at their price, taking a percentage uh, for having it on their platform. Self-publishing is when you have the book, you have the manuscript all, you know, either written or typed on your computer. 
you pay the cost of printing the book, however many copies it takes, and then you go out and you sell them yourself. Technically, that is the definition of self-publishing. It's very inconvenient and, in my experience, not very fun. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've tried it before in the past, and there's a reason I made the switch. Um, it's just it's a lot more convenient to do the former method because, you know, if it's on Amazon, if it's on Barnes & Noble, if it's on these first, second, and third-party retail sites, you know, people can look at it with a simple Google search, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would think that it would be harder just to go out and try to sell everything yourself where you can just let Amazon and do every, every, do all the work basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just Amazon, um, but it was, it took a lot of the advertising expense out of it, thankfully. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that. for sure. So, so are you an author too, or just, a? I used to be an author. Okay. Uh, I, I dabbled in, uh, you know, authorial work. I think that's the term you use, but I began as an illustrator. I started at 14. And then when I decided that I didn't, I just didn't want to create children's books anymore. Uh, that's when I started making my own stories and uh, started to combine, you know, those talents together. I figured if I could write the book, I could draw the book. The next step would be I could publish the book too. And uh, yeah, I, I did that, but you know, all good things must come to an end. And mine ended last November. <laughs> you <laughs> Which, said that was because of COVID? That was primarily because of COVID. Yeah. And at the time I was tackling other artistic projects, which admittedly took up a lot more of my time. You know, I was, I was more interested in other things. And at the end of the day, if, if you don't have, you know, that clientele that wants to publish books anymore, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. You can't afford the operating costs and that's just kind of how the chips fall, you know? Yeah. Uh, man, I, there's a lot of businesses that seems to be, uh, has had that same, uh, I guess, situation that fell under because of the whole pandemic and just the, the vid, as they say, I guess the vid 19, but yeah, no, I mean, a lot of businesses are booming and it's really ironic, but it, I guess, you know, not everyone could be winners in that regard. Still though, you know, I began this when I was 18, 19. I'm, I'm glad to say that I've done it and it's not something that I could really beat myself up over. I would have beat myself up, up over it more if I just didn't attempt it to begin with. Well, it's the small businesses that really took a hit, like yours, right? Major businesses right. seem to be mm -hmm. booming. But yeah, that's oh yeah for somebody like you who would trying to do a startup like you are and get it going, and all of a sudden this happens, and it makes you wonder. Yeah, I mean, so if <laughs> if you think about it, if you don't think COVID would have hit, like where would you be at right now if everything the normal the world was still normal? Let's say I would probably be dealing with you know uh, well dealing with kind of has a negative connotation. I would probably be expanding into, you know, outreaching more people who want to publish books. Yeah. I'd probably make a more public, uh, not so much public appearance, but I would make the business more, um, you know, I guess open to the public, more discoverable. You know, I did have, you know, I went, I went through all the hoops. I got my business license. <laughs> I established my LLC. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I did everything with, I guess, California's Chamber of Commerce. I think that's a hoop I had to jump through. I remember a few phone calls about that. But it was one of those things where at the end of the day, with COVID hitting, with not enough people publishing their books, 
you just can't afford the operating costs anymore. And, you know, if it didn't happen, it would have been, you know, all small businesses are admittedly a struggle to not just start, but to keep operating. So I feel as though I could have done it, but without the desire for people specifically wanting to publish their books through me, maybe it would have been a lot more self-funded than I thought, you know? I got you. Yeah. Man, it kind of, I mean, I feel bad for you, dude. It sucks that, I mean, I can just, you know, the, uh, I guess the balls, you know, to actually have to do a startup on your own, like yours and actually putting yourself out there and trying something new. And then all of a sudden like this happens and it just, you know, you get your feet taken out from under you and, you know, and I, I just admire people like you that are, you know, go through those hoops and through the obstacles and the battles just to get something off the ground. And then it just, you know, it just, I don't know a better word. It just sucks that that happens. No, I, I appreciate it, man. No, really. It, it does. I mean, it does kind of warm my heart to know that there are people out there like you that understand sort of the, 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 the guts and severity of what it takes to like own and operate a business and have that perspective on it. Um, you know, I've, in the beginning, at first, what I thought I was getting was just all pity, you know, but at the end of the day, I knew that it was people who were genuinely sorry for what happened. I mean, you know, I've, I'd been doing this for years and to see it kind of crash and burn in the beginning was rough. But once I realized that these talents didn't go to waste, mm-hmm. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the talents didn't go to waste. I still have the book files. All the manuscripts are there. All that happened was they're just taken off of they're just taken offline, you know. Nobody can nobody can buy the books anymore, which you know kind of sucks. But if you look at it in, I guess if you look at it through a financial standpoint, what I've been doing now with different forms of publishing, it's allowed me to grow my audience a lot more more than I ever thought it would be. It's allowed me to make more of a revenue, which is you know. I'm not just, I'm not in it for the money. I never really was, but that's great. I mean, I never would have expected, it's a pleasant surprise is what it is. So I, I guess I should kind of thank my lucky stars that I did fail because otherwise it wouldn't have led me to where I currently am now. I got you. Well, you're not in it for the money. So this is something you've always been passionate about. Like books and being artistic and the 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 illustration gig which is what i called it in the beginning i thought it was going to be nothing more than that and you know when i was promised to have my book when i was promised to have my my art in a book in a children's book i was on cloud nine like that was all i could have ever (laughs) dreamed about i i'd filled sketchbooks since i was in middle school and to have it actually be published was so alluring to me at 14, 15 years old. Yeah, I'd say. You know, I think it would have been the opportunity for anyone at that age. For sure. I mean, anybody that has something like that published at that age, yeah. I mean, especially yeah. something, you like you said, middle school, you've been sketching. I mean, just to have that big of accomplishment that early on, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So you said you've been doing children's books? Is that your focus? Yes, well, it was my focus, you know, back then, um, you know, again, back then it was sort of on contract. I wasn't the original author. I had to draw what I was told to draw. Okay. Uh, it was a very nice environment. It wasn't, you know, authoritarian. I'm going to rule over you with an iron fist kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I had, I had some creative control, but when I, 
when the cogs started turning of how publishing a book works and how to format a manuscript, that is when I started to outreach into other subjects aside from children's books. At the end of the day, though, I still fulfilled my contract. I still fulfilled my my role as an illustrator for the full 30 books. So that was all done. It took me about five years, but uh, no, it, it was worth it. Damn, 30 books, dude. Yeah, no, it started off with one and then it became five. Then it became six and then it became 30. And I, <laughs> I mean... It was one of those things I had to kind of brace myself for because there were times when I was just like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to freaking do this anymore. I want to branch out. I want to do this, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I stuck with it. It's, it is, well, it, it, it was what it was because it was, it was time ago. So when you're illustrating, are you picturing it in your head and then go ahead and just start? Are you doing it on paper, an iPad, or what? Or are you just kind of sketching stuff out, then you just slowly make drafts and feed off that until you get a final product? Or Back then, I, I used to. I used to go through the entire process of sketching it out on paper, uh, inking it, then scanning it into the, uh, into the computer, importing that into Photoshop, and then trimming up all the edges and coloring it. And then that would be my page. Okay. After I... After I decided to utilize um, a tablet back when tablets were still a thing, and you know they still are, but like you said, a lot more people draw on their iPad now because it's just what is an iPad but just one big tablet, you know. Uh, I would draw on the tablet, and I I would use some dingy version of Photoshop that I probably got off of some shifty website i don't even know anymore but <laughs> it was it was definitely outdated it had some charm to it and that's what i used for for five years until i eventually upgraded relearned everything and then finished up the rest of it damn dude so i mean the reason i said ipad was just because i've been watching the show or i was watching the show on netflix i think it's like tattoo cover up or something like that but anyway Mm-hmm. The tattoo artist was actually drawing the tattoo on the iPad, and I didn't realize that they did that. Then I guess they would transfer it over as a sketch. And yeah, yeah. the The iPad, I I now uh, do all my freelance work on an iPad and with an Apple Pencil. So it's it's a transition that personally I didn't want to make because I wasn't familiar with it. But yeah, no, you the, the people that the things that people make on iPad never cease to amaze me because exactly right, they just draw it on there. And then they just sket- they uh, transfer it, and then they just sketch it on on skin. <laughs> so is that, it's uh, whack. Is that is the iPad mainly the pick of uh, I guess people drawing, or do they go with like a Microsoft Surface? They either go with yeah, they either go with Surface. Uh, I've seen people use iPads. I think uh, Intuos, which is another tablet company. Okay. Yeah, I I think they have like a built-in screen tablet. So there's two types. There's one that hook up via USB and then you see the, you know, the, the image on your screen or they have the screen built into the tablet, which at that point, just get a surface or an iPad. <laughs> That's what it sounds like you should do. Right. Well, you said you had to relearn everything. So when you said relearn, like you, you talked about like Adobe Illustrator and all Yeah, I mean, I, I used to, I got to tell you, man, I used to despise Illustrator. Really? Um, predominant, I was, I was very much 
uh, a religious fanatic of, of Photoshop. And I still use Photoshop for a decent amount of editing. I've just now gotten into using Illustrator and I don't know if I can curse on this show, but yeah, holy yeah, yeah, crap. Yeah. Free, yeah, free speech, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> holy crap. Holy shit. Is it so much more just crisp and clear? Like I would have never, I, I would never use Photoshop again. I mean, I'm still learning it. I'm still learning illustrator obviously, but I would never use Photoshop again. Had I known that it would turn out looking this good uh, in another way. Is that just because there's more features and options or no, see what Adobe Illustrator does is it, it utilizes vector graphics, whereas Photoshop uses uh, pixels and pixels, you know, you could go down to the very, very microscopic dimension of it, but vector graphics are all, you know, smooth lines, you know, they're not breaking. Uh, they look very clean and they always look very clean because that's just the format that they're in. Okay. Well, let's explain this to people. Cause I know pixels is basically like a TV and they're tiny little squares. And obviously right. the pixels you have, the better resolution or picture it's going to be, right? Right. But vector graphics, now when you say that, I'm not 100% on. So vector graphics in relation to uh, pixels, like as you said, pixels are, you know, those tiny little microscopic dots that when combined make a larger image. But with what vector images are and uh, it, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. That's you know, fine. they're made up of what's known as line art and they're infinitely scalable, meaning that what can happen is no matter how big or small you make that line art, like if you make a box, for okay. example, in Adobe Photoshop and you scale that box up, the pixels, they're going to make that look more and more blurry it's sort of as if if you were to take a like an image on your phone and blow it up, it would look a lot more blurry. That makes right? sense. Okay, I'm with you. Now with vector images, they don't do that. Uh, they will look crisp and clear, uh, the same, uh, all the same, because it, it works more off of algorithms rather than pixels. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it seems like vector might be the better way to go when you're. Oh, very much. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, only thing is, though, is that if you spent the better half of nine years learning Photoshop, it's very, very difficult to immediately make the switch, which is why I was so hesitant. Yeah, I mean, so I dabbled a little bit in Illustrator. Uh, I, this was probably back three, four years ago, and it was just because my friends and I, we were playing NBA 2K17, and we were playing religiously. <laughs> nice. And, yeah, and so I don't know if you're a gamer or anything, but – um. So, oh yeah okay. oh yeah so anyway we got pretty addicted to that and we created a team and we were playing what they call the program and you could create your own team and get a, your own logo and stuff like that so i was like i'm gonna learn how to do this mm -hmm. so i was just watching youtube videos and i don't know if they were vector graphics or what but i was just downloading whatever i could find off the internet and then just kind of manipulating it in uh illustrator just to fit it to kind of what i was looking for i mean it's nothing great or anything but i was having fun doing it though it was kind of sparked that little creativity yeah i'd say um, oh yeah, no. I, a lot of games have that. I know GTA Five has that too. It's yeah. it's one of those things where you can just customize it outside the game and 
it, it blew my mind. I mean, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I mean, it was just something, you know, I mean, as much as we were playing, I was like, man, we got to be legit if we're going to come out here trying to right. play some games, man. <laughs> we can't be no scrubs on the internet here. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, so did you, did you learn that way? Or when you said you had to relearn, are you just self-taught or did you go you know, to school for it, learning classes or what was, what's the best way for someone to learn this stuff? I guess. Uh, I mean, there are definitely courses online. I'm not going to advocate which one course is better than the other because in some degree, they all bring something to the table and they all lack something, you know? Um, At least when I went to school, there were no designated Adobe classes. I had, I took animation and I took video production and they were, and photography. You know, I, I decided just to take them all. Screw it. Nice. <laughs> so I ended up learning a bunch of Adobe products and Photoshop really stuck with me. You know, I dabbled in Illustrator. I dabbled in Flash, which was primarily for animating, for animating. And then there was Adobe Lightroom, which was primarily for photography. And they all serve their different purposes um, Photoshop, I would say is the most user-friendly to learn on your own because what I learned, well, this was sort of what I took away from high school, no matter what you end up learning, it's always going to be self-taught to a degree Yeah. because at the end of the day, it's always hands-on experience for these applications. So you could sit there in a, in a one to four hour lecture. It doesn't matter how long you learn it on the internet or being taught by someone, the, the minute you learn the short keys and what certain commands do and where in the, uh, in the taskbar you find certain things to, manip- to manipulate your image, mm-hmm. you're never going to learn it unless you sit down and you do it yourself, unfortunately. So that's just sort of the hard truth of it all. So Yeah, yeah no, I get that because, you know, like I said, when I was creating those graphics and Illustrator and then now when I'm doing uh, – I use uh, Audition and Premiere Pro for the podcast stuff. And just mm-hmm. there's, it seems like there's 20 different ways to do whatever you want it to do, but it's just kind of a matter of learning whatever way I guess you're comfortable with or what feels, or for me, what felt, you know, okay, I know how to do it this way. But then if I watch something on YouTube, it was yeah. like, yeah, like you said about hotkeys and learning another way to do it. And it's like, well, it seems a little bit harder, but. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Adobe has something for everything. You know, you said auditioning in Premiere Pro. That's what is that? Rec- that's recording and video editing, right? Exactly. Yeah, like it couldn't just be in one application. Adobe just had to fucking split them off into two. I mean, is, that, so. is, that, is that a money thing or? Oh, I I would say it's like a money thing. I can't really speak about them on that front, but I will say that it's it's convenient if you know specifically what you're looking for. But if you just want an all-in-one application to do all that, that makes sense. I guess, I guess Adobe products aren't for you. But what else is the competition? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when you're when I was doing my research and all this stuff, it was either use Audition or I think it was Audacity. Yeah, Audacity um, and Logic Pro. I think was another one. But I think yeah. I don't know if them two were just audio. I, th- I can't remember exactly, but. Yeah, Audacity is just audio. Logic Pro is. I remember Logic Pro being for music as well. Okay, maybe. I think I'm it's not. just video. Okay. I mean, I'm audio. Messing that up. I don't know. I yeah. Remember. I think there's another one too. Maybe Final Cut. I don't remember. But. Yeah, Final Cut's for uh, video editing as well. So. Well, how do you stay you know, up to date with uh, 
you know, you learning and you uh, trying to, you said you're doing photography too. And I mean, how, how do you keep, you know, your, uh, I guess what's, what am I trying to say is like, how do you keep fresh? I mean, how do you, the, uh, the, the, the repertoire? Yeah. Just keep doing it. Just you, yeah, you just gotta, you gotta learn how to distance yourself from other projects uh on one hand and possibly this could be a positive side is that it always keeps things fresh uh when you're working on a new subject every single day or at least try to you know you vary it up you find yourself more adaptable to particular projects not you know and it also gives you the practice that you need. Mm-hmm. You find ways on how to combine said aspects. So whether or not you want to combine photo editing with music or video production or flash animation with video editing and you know, vice versa. Being skilled in individual skill sets interdependent of, you know, maybe one big thing that you're putting together is always a plus. It also serves marketability really well because like I said before, you know, I came away from publishing books to learn how to write, illustrate, narrate, video produce, uh, audio produce as well. And, um, well, I guess that's pretty much it. Well, and then everything that I've learned for, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator as well. So uh, graphic design. So it's good to be able to learn how to put those skills together and then break them up as, as needed. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would like that just because I think we kind of touched on this earlier, but you know, I get bored just kind of sticking to one thing. So if I have multiple different outlets to go to, it keeps my mind fresh and I don't find myself just kind of I guess I'm actually putting effort into it as opposed to just getting it done so I can move on to something else. And right. it keeps my creativity sharp too, that I'm just feel like I'm just not doing the same thing over and over and over. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a real drag when, when you realize that the one thing that you're working on is the one thing that holds you back from doing other things or literally anything else different so that you can break up the monotony. Yeah, it makes sense too. But you said you you narrate. So is that like voiceover work or? Yeah. So I. You kind of sound like, I can't, you know. I, <laughs> uh, hold on, we'll tell everybody. For, uh, so Sebastian had trouble with his camera tonight, everyone. So uh, we're going to have a picture up of him or something anyway. But yeah, so I'm just listening to his voice on this. So he's got one of those voices. So. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, yeah. really. It's, um, I, I kind of pride myself on, you know, Public speaking, which is something that, fun fact, people would much rather die than speak in public. That's the one thing that they're afraid of more. And, you know, I was a shy kid when I was a lot younger, and I never really learned how to publicly speak and debate and formulate communications effectively until I was about in high school. So doing so really allowed me to you know, not so much get in front of a camera, but get in front of a microphone and either state my piece, you know, in certain situations, whether it be school or my job, mm-hmm. or pursue my craft, which would be to narrate stories. And that's primarily what I've put, been putting in a lot more time in ever since uh, my publishing company uh, uh, went away. So you forced, and, you forced yourself into public speaking then? 
A lot of people wouldn't even <laughs> try to make themselves good at it unless they absolutely have to, it seems like, unless you want to be a, in politics or. Yeah, well, that, for, for a long time, that's what I thought my, my plan in life was to be. Um, you know, I began my college, excuse me, I began my college career uh, wanting to be an artist. And then I decided, well, you know, and this is my subjective opinion only. I'm sure, you know, maybe your listeners may disagree or just listeners in general may disagree. But art for me was not very practical. Hmm. Um, it didn't serve as a path to financially meet my goals, but it also didn't serve as a path to provide me a sense of personal fulfillment. You know, just the title alone of being an artist really didn't give me that edge that I wanted. And so I decided to uh, pursue law. Now, <laughs> that didn't work either. But what I did take, yeah, no, I, I went from art to political science to eventually, surprise, surprise, being in communication studies by the time I finished my undergrad. So that was a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm glad that I... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I took away from it what I did, how to speak, you know, how to speak effectively. And I feel how to write effectively, is, you know, as well. Um, and right now I'm studying finance. So <laughs> I really don't uh, I really don't see I really don't see a straight line when it comes to my life. But at the end of the day, it's it's been built up so much that. I can't turn back. And I don't really regret it. So as long as you don't regret it by the end of the day, I guess you're doing something right. Well, I like that. I'm, yeah. I mean, you can't look back, right? If you're looking back, you're not forward. Right. So yeah, got to keep moving forward. Uh, so wait, all right. So you've, you've, you got your bachelor's in communication. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. you just, and now you're, are you, you're doing a finance degree or. Yes. So I am uh, pursuing my, my MBA in um well business administration but that primarily encompasses management finance accounting i just put it under one umbrella term because you end up studying everything that you probably would have studied in an undergrad for finance or management or business anyway so no i'm with you on that uh i almost did the same thing but i decided to, I, my math, I went a different route for my master's degree so oh nice yeah i, nice. I, I guess i did sports management which uh Oh, that's awesome. I wish I would have done that. Well, I mean, there's so many opportunities for that. Yeah, well, and that's essentially like a sports MBA. So it's a lot more. I mean, I don't know. Like, is it a lot more practical or yeah, obviously so, you went for it? So, yeah, I got it. So, um, so I guess it was my, my, I got, I can't talk right now. Mine was more practical. <laughs> um, and that, it seemed that, and you could go different uh, routes on it. And I was wanting to, I guess, at one point be an athletic director, director, and uh, at some point in my life. And so I, it was kind of like you. I got the vast um, broad of it, of or of everything that goes mm -hmm. in on goes with it. But at the time, I was working in recreation and wellness at uh, at the university here. Uh, in my city and I more focused on facility management just because that's kind of what I was doing at the time. So mm. I, I, that was the road I went down on with it. So, um, and now I'm not even using that degree. So I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Honestly, I, w when I hear people say that they don't end up using their degree, it, it kind of, 
makes me regret going to college <laughs> because well, it's one of those it's one of those things where it's just like well if you don't end up using your degree why'd you go but if if you had a good time at college then yeah doesn't really matter i mean you know i i've had that i also want to talk talk to you more about all that art's not practical thing so let me mark that down so i don't forget that but yeah you know i've heard that too it's just like hey you're not using your degree why did you go or mm-hmm. um but, you know, it's good to have. I mean, you know, sometimes I think I kind of shit on education a little bit. And just because it's almost seems to be a, uh, I don't want to say a scam, but just you pay bukus of money to go to school. Yeah. And then just, you know, for, for, for example, yeah, like said person me, that just you're not even using your degree right now. Especially, right. you know. and But, you know, like you said, you know, I don't regret it, but it's good to fall back on. It's something I have and I'm thankful for it that I actually had the opportunity to do it. But... You know, because not everybody gets that opportunity, but right, 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 right. Yeah. No, no, you're 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 absolutely right. It's it's something that I think a lot of people are, you know, inundated with thinking. You know, when you end up seeing all these people online being like, "Well, I didn't make it without a degree. Why? Why should you go?" It's like you know, like fuck off. I get so many of these ads every single day, and it's just it's more annoying than it is just uh, logical. You know. Yes. I mean, so the argument, it seems back in, I don't know, if you want to say 30, 40, 50 years ago, it seems like the argument mm-hmm. was that, hey, you know, to succeed in life, go through, you know, grow up or not grow up, you know, be born, go to high school, go to college, get a job, right. and then just kind of go from there. And then, you know, I heard an argument one time and I forgot which podcast this was, I was listening to, but, and I forgot his name, so I don't want to, I'm going to fuck it up. But he mm-hmm. said that, you know, before the internet, obviously, you had to go to college because that was where all the books were, and that's where all, you know, the vast amount of learning took place, as opposed to you know staying in your hometown. So if you actually wanted right. to broaden your horizons, you had to go to college and you know find out more information, which that makes perfect sense. But then, you know, with people, you know, like you just said earlier about like why did you get that degree if you're not even going to use it? I mean, some people, you know. Or making TikTok videos, becoming millionaires, and oh, don't remind me, <laughs> and making a, a full profession off uh, this way, everything they learned yeah. off YouTube. And I mean, I don't know how much of that is legit or not, and if the internet yeah, it's one day, it, I don't know what would it, happen. But I was gonna say it's one of those things where you kind of have to look at it with some like level of skepticism. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at those videos and I'm just like, well. That didn't take any effort, <laughs> you know, and, and you're exactly right. They're getting paid these, you know, these mondo amounts of money probably. And I think what, I think what saddens me the most is that these people predominantly on TikTok who are watching these videos and were contributing to these algorithms mm-hmm. wouldn't know what to do with that amount of money if it bit them in the ass, you know? Yeah. So that's, what's really unfortunate, I think, but you know, I'm, I'm no financial advisor. What do I know? <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's a great point just because, uh, I don't know if I've, if folks, if I've talked about this before on a podcast, I'm sorry, but anyway, so there's a good documentary. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I think ESPN made it and it was a 30 for 30 about athletes who went broke because they got so much money, um, like straight out mm-hmm. of high school or whatever. And it was just shocking to me that they got so much, you know, millions and millions of dollars, kind of what you said, and they didn't know how to spend it or how to manage it. And all of a sudden, boom, broke. And then they're back at, right. you know, living back into the, where they grew up from and nothing. And mm-hmm. it's just how, it's just how, like, and, you know, I say that because, uh, you know, I've never been, I'm not a millionaire in case you didn't know. And <laughs> will I ever be, I don't know that either, but 
it's just I don't know. I mean, I guess when people get you know a little bit of extra money in their bank account, maybe I need that real. Yeah, and may, maybe I might fault my, find myself doing the same thing. Who knows? But I I feel like I'm shitting on people, but it can happen, and I just don't see it sometimes. So right, right, right. But anyway, um, so but yeah, when you said that uh, art's not practical, I've heard that argument too before. Uh, yeah, argument. I've heard that statement. <laughs> I guess. And it's a again. It's a very damning statement. I I know a lot of people who'd probably you know nail me to the cross if they were to hear that because a lot of artists have it in their head that it is practical, it is beneficial to society, and it is. I'm not shitting on the entirety of the subject. Um, I think there's sort of a perspective that a lot of people have to understand when it comes to owning and operating a business where. The arts, for all intents and purposes, are transactional, are more transactional than I think a lot of people lead on. It isn't just, you know, painting pictures and singing Kumbaya, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're in it to make an income, which a lot of artists. Yeah. Like I like I said before. It isn't my main goal. It never was. But. Thinking back to when I was 14, 15, and when I just gotten this opportunity to make children's books, I mean, I don't know. No one else on my campus had that <laughs> had that opportunity present to them. So I could safely say that it was a lot of vanity back then, and it was a lot of potential greediness, I would say. You know, it, it, it definitely was a shortcoming of my personality way back when, but, you know, as a kid what are you going to think about? You know, the, yeah. the world's your oyster, you know, you could potentially make a lot of money from a career path that a lot of people still don't find themselves edging themselves into, you know, yeah. you can contact literary agents all day and hear nothing. And I had gotten this opportunity and, you know, that's how I felt. And I'm glad that I've grown out of that, that attitude. But yeah, I, the whole, practicality within the arts it you know on the other side of things now that that business is essentially gone because of covid and during covid i might add a lot of people a lot of artists especially have are quietly accepting the fact that art has become transactional that art has lost its purpose for creating something for the sole reason to create it. A lot of art I see nowadays is, is very making it to, to, to make a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate. I wish it didn't have to come that way, but state of the world that we live in, people do what they need to do. And those talents definitely don't, you know, they don't go wasted. People have created some of the most amazing things I've ever seen within the nearly two years we've been in a pandemic. (laughs) so they've been utilizing their resources effectively and and you know one thing i've always thought that when a person said you know art that it was either you were painting like you said painting on a canvas or drawing something but you know if you look at it or if to me if I, i'm thinking it's it's more i mean art can always be you know uh, a chef in a restaurant uh making a dish and like you know some of them will actually you know, make a, a beautiful looking dish and like it's, there's an art that goes to it. And I think, yeah. And, oh yeah. And I never, Definitely. and it took, you know, I forgot what I was doing, but it, it, 
it hit me that, oh, yeah, you know, that's actually, you know, that's his art. That's his thing. That's his passion, you know, and mm-hmm. even though somebody's going to eat it eventually, but just to take the time to make something like that, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think people look at it that like, yeah, it can be practical if you just, you know, I guess follow your passion, follow what you want it to be, and it's still an art. And mm-hmm. and even just, you know, like I was talking with my friends at the gym the other night, and, you know, I, I, I CrossFit, I don't know if I told you that earlier, but so if we do a, a certain Olympic lift and, you know, if you watch these elite people do it and it's so beautiful and doing it and then you hear like a narrator talking about it on a documentary, it's like, man, that is making it sound so, you know, you know, uh, so beautiful like, and, yeah, uh, you know, artistic and it's just like an art to it just not because not everybody can do it. And mm-hmm. that might be a very... Uh, I guess subjective view of it, but um, no, yeah, there's definitely an exclusivity factor when it comes to it. You know, not everyone can draw, not everyone can, you know, can paint, can can CrossFit, and <laughs> you know, no, no, there, there's a there's an exclusivity of it, and from that there comes a marketability of it because you understand that a lot of what you can do, people potentially want, and that is when you end up selling your your product or service and uh, you end up going from there. And, uh, you know, as long as you enjoy doing your artistic medium, that's great. At the end of the day, you know, if we can go back to the days where things didn't cost an arm and a leg and you didn't have to take up artistic side hustles to, to make ends meet, you know, that'd be great. You could create things to, to be creative Um, but that's, fortunately, that's not the world we live in. And maybe my younger self would be cursing my current self for saying that, but you know, you grow up, you start to understand what things are are worth and you start to value your time and you start to value the money that you earn from creating such things, you know? Oh yeah. So this might be, I hate these cheesy questions and I don't know if this might be a little cheesy or I don't know. You probably had this a million times, but so when when you are creating things, you know, such as you mm. narrating, your I think you said you did some music and photography, yeah. and so is this? Are you just using life experiences to create something? Is this just something that's the muse is just flowing through your body and out, you know, onto the canvas or? Yeah, no, yeah, no, definitely, no. It isn't a cheesy question at all because a lot of artists. Um, I feel as though nowadays a lot of artists think that they have to appeal to some, you know, higher power. And it's not, you know, me speaking religiously. I'm saying that they have to, they have to make art represent something that is representative of something even bigger, like, you know, their community or a certain socio-political issue or something that really sort of separates themselves from the work that they've made. Because now that now they have this expectation of, this art has to represent something greater. Now for me, what I want to create is what I want to create. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If people like it, great. If they don't, well, you know, piss off. There's a whole internet (laughs) out there to leave your opinion on. And no, I don't mean to be mean when I say that. It's because I tried doing that. I tried making art that is sort of resembling of something of, you know, like maybe a higher power or of a higher social issue. And to this day, I still, I still do attempt that. I am the political cartoonist for a newspaper in the Santa Clarita Valley. It's known as the proclaimer. And 
those images, excuse me, those images, those cartoons are supposed to represent. I mean, if you've seen a political cartoon, you've seen them all. They're supposed to represent a certain issue with adequate satirical commentary. That's not, you know, as much as I love drawing, as much as I love graphic design, I don't live in the Santa Clarita Valley. Hmm. I don't understand the issue as much as, you know, maybe residents of SCV would. And it's not to say that I don't care about the issues, but as a non-resident, I can't care. It's not that I don't care. I can't care because I'm not in that area. My co-host for uh, a podcast that I host, he is there and he, you know, he pulls the strings on everything there. He's editor in chief, Mm -hmm. so to speak. He doesn't even care. Like he's so sick of the politics over there. It's like, well, well, dude, you know, if, if I'm an extension of you, um, what does that say about me? You know, like I'm, well, what does that say about me? Well, it essentially means that I'm doing this for a paycheck. Now, is that a bad way of thinking of it? No, because like I said, I love to draw. I love graphic design and I love expanding my talents into services that people may need. And they just so happen to need a political cartoonist. Does that make me a bad person? Well, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think that you have to necessarily be overly passionate about everything that you do. You can certainly understand the importance of why and how something needs to be done. But on the same token, you're the artist. You would understand that picture better than anyone else can interpret it. Sure. You know, you're the one who drew it. So. Yeah. I uh, mean, mean, you know everything that you put into it and exactly what you were thinking while you were making it and uh what your mindset was and right uh, right right right. yeah do you ever uh do any little hidden i guess meanings or hidden or hidden symbols or just (laughs) something for people to look for in your uh in your um i guess if you're asking if if i include any imagery that's going to get me canceled in the next no, 20 I mean, years not, not even canceled i mean it could just be <laughs> hopefully not <laughs> well i mean i would hope you don't want to get yourself canceled and, right right no i um, mean just i seems like i've heard of uh, this is, could be way off base here but there's something that yeah. you know an artist might put and everything they do they put a symbol or they put something that just kind of represents like hey you know you know said person did this I guess there's definitely some instances where some art that I make has uh, a hidden meaning. Um, Sometimes it is something that I want someone to hear or to see or to, you know, visually interpret. But sometimes I think that it's kind of a lost cause because the people who I would want to, who I would want to see or hear that, Uh, Are no longer in my life, you know, whether it be me one night thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to create a song for my ex-girlfriends or this friend that I that I once knew or how I wish I would have handled this situation then. I mean, I still feel those emotions as any human rightfully should. So and processing that through art is a healthy way of doing things. Yeah. Now. You know, in 10 to 20 years or, you know, maybe sooner, maybe later, maybe never. Those things still exist with my name attached to it. If they happen to be read by that particular person, uh, 
you know, I meant everything that I said when I wrote it or composed it or edited it or anything like that. So obviously my feelings haven't changed. You know, what I produce is, like you said, emblematic of life experiences that I've experienced. So not everything that I've experienced is necessarily a happy memory, you know? Yeah. Uh, I hope that answers your question because, yeah, I mean, there's there's instances where I just need to express what I wish I could have done, said, or uh, did, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you answered that. It was kind of what I was looking for is that just because, I mean, you know, a lot of people might think that life, I hope not everyone thinks this is gummy bears and raindrops and that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people go through the, you know, some dark times. And if that way, if that's how you handle getting your stress out or getting, I don't know, whatever's inside of you out and that's your art. Yeah. I mean, and that's what makes you feel better. And by the end of the day, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say with that. But yeah, that's kind of what I was saying that if that's if that's your way to get something out that, you know, you've been thinking mm-hmm. about and your release, I guess, is. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and whether it's. You know, I don't know. This might be kind of going off topic here or changing. You're not really to my point. But, you know, one time I read something that – no, I was listening to Joe Rogan. And he, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. I don't know if you're a Joe Rogan guy. but uh, Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, my guy. Okay, that, that, guy that guy's crazy, but I love him. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but he was talking about how Stephen King, when he wrote Cujo, that he didn't even remember writing it just because he was – I think he was on cocaine and drinking. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no. There's a method to to people's madness where like Stephen King, cocaine, a solitary cabin and just crank that shit out, you know, and then publish it. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I guess that's kind of what I was trying to say is it's like, you know, I don't know what he was going through, what his mindset was, you know, in that cabin, what he was thinking to write that. But if, you know, I don't know if, some people might argue that drugs and alcohol will change, or, you know, do change your mind, obviously, but they make you think in a different way just to be able to produce something that he may never have thought of when he was sober. Yes, definitely. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, you know, I don't mind having a few extra drinks on the weekends and I can tell, <laughs> you know, and I can tell just when, you know, my mindset starts changing and I, you know, sometimes I've caught myself, you know, what I would have said that or did that if I was not under the influence, but, and you know, sometimes I even you know, right. I might even think of something that's just like, man, I don't think I ever would have, you know, I've even wrote down stuff before, like statements or thoughts I've had. And it's like, man, I don't think I could ever have thought that without mm-hmm. the help of a little extra push from that. And I'm not advocating saying everybody should be out there drinking and partying and just to be creative. But I think I don't know. Do you think there's a I don't know. There's a little something to that for. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess without outing myself, I'll do my best to kind of explain the process of, of being under the influence uh, while being creative, because you hit on an excellent point. You know, I'm just going to say this right now. Art fucking sucks when you create it, when you're sober, I'll tell you that. And while I'm not out here, like you advocating to be like a raging alcoholic or a drug user, (laughs) you know, definitely we wouldn't want that there. You're absolutely right. There are certain sort of triggers when under the influence, whether it be through drugs, alcohol, or other sort of stimulants or depressants, Mm -hmm. that it it sort of unlocks something. It really does. And my time spent in college, I had, I, I was in a very collegiately stressful environment and it wasn't 
stressful in, <laughs> in, in, in terms of studying, because, I, you know, while I was a good student, I partied a fair amount. Okay. I had my fair amount of situations in my respective fraternity that, you know, I, I kind of look back and cringe because any 18, 18, 19 year old in that kind of setting is, is bound to make great choices. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally true. <laughs> but you look at those experience and you, experiences and you kind of take them for granted back then when in actuality it's caused a, some of the closest friendships that I've ever had mm-hmm. B the, some of the best stories that I've ever had and C some of the best life lessons that I've ended up turning into books, into videos, into, you know, songs, uh, pictures, photographs, especially, I mean, you know, come on ever, you know, it is definitely bled into, into the art. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I was probably sober, maybe a good third of the time while I was doing that. Nice. So it's memories that you can look back on, but you don't always necessarily remember how they got there. Yeah. And that's what's, that's what's the best part of it. Yeah. I like how you said that, that, you know, cause I can definitely read through, you have some of the best stories and met some of the best people that I've ever had or known just because of either having a couple beers somewhere or just even randomly meet them at a bar. And just, just because yep. I don't know, you bumped into them or you, somebody heard you ever say something. It's like, Hey, I know that too, or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, I do. You know, my college experience was, yeah, kind of, I can definitely re- relate to that for sure. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, but, you know, like a lot of people might are probably going to argue with that and to say that's not true, but, um, that, you know, well, I mean, is, it, it's definitely a subjective approach. I mean, some people are, you know, very puritanical when it comes to that. They're, they're at college to study or they never drink or they never do drugs or yeah. what have you. And it's something that, Uh, it's not for everyone. It really isn't. And I'm not here to advocate one way or the other, because obviously people are going to do what they feel is comfortable, you know, maybe even push the limits a little bit, but I'm not the judge, jury and executioner when it comes (laughs) to that. I agree hundred percent with you that, um, you know, some people just like to even just use alcohol as a social lubricant just to break the ice and which it does. And Mm -hmm. that's perfectly fine. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying go out there and get hammered or whatever, but if you just want to have a little drink, just to, Relax yourself. If that's what your thing, then do it. But there you go. And if it, you know, I mean, you know, not everything just because somebody says, I mean, I don't know. I didn't want this to turn into a complete drugs and alcohol conversation, but I guess, <laughs> but I'm just saying just because something was once told that was bad for you is not necessarily is bad. It's just a matter of you being responsible and how you're handling it. I mean, just because, all right. So let's say you're in California, for example, uh, weed's legal there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because, you know, I don't think, I forgot how many states weed is legal in now, maybe 19, 20, but I think Virginia is where I'm at and they just kind of passed that. It's, they decriminalized it, I guess you could say. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at that, you know, obviously cocaine and all that. I mean, I can get the points of that, but there is some, I forgot there's one doctor who actually advocates for recreational use um, for drugs. I forgot. Drug use and grown ups, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think it was for uh, uh, psilocybin, which was uh, mushrooms, right? Yeah, I think that was part yeah. of it. And I think he actually even talked about how he uh, he'll do heroin too. But mm, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but anyway, I guess what I was getting at is that I could go down to the ABC store here and get a ten dollar bottle of liquor and just do 
just as much damage as I could with anything else. And it seems that to be perfectly okay as, as long as you're not driving, I guess. Right. I mean, to put it in perspective, when I was in fifth grade, we had uh, Dare come to our school. You remember Dare, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that was, you know, I arguably and, you know, actually recorded to be true, probably one of the biggest blunders that the that the drug and tobacco industry ever took when in regards to teaching children about safe drugs and etiquette and, you know, things like safe drugs and etiquette. (laughs) What am I saying? Uh, How not to do drugs and how not to do them safely. But, you know, I was in fifth grade and we all had to write speeches and my speech was the best. I had to, I had to say, I had to state it in front of the entire school and faculty. And, you know, it it was a great honor back then, you know, when you're 10 (laughs) But when you really don't understand what you're saying back then, because you've never even seen a cigarette in your life, then you really don't know how to, you really don't know what to say other than it's bad. Mm-hmm. Now, me sitting here at 23 years old, I could see the effects of what a cigarette is. Um, I could also see why people would be so enticed to smoke it. Same thing with alcohol, same thing with, you know, weed, cocaine, mushrooms. It's, it's something that in my four years of undergrad, and, you know, maybe in my 21 months of being a uh, uh, being a, uh, a master's student, I haven't seen it yet, but it's all online. So who the hell knows what people do in their free time when the cameras are turned off? Mm-hmm. It's something that I think a lot of people do more of the older you get. And you sort of understand why they do it. And you, you kind of just live through life not really judging because it's it's such a touchy subject for some people and you kind of just let people do their own thing um but my opinion of it has certainly changed ever since i was a i was a lad a little boy (laughs) yeah no i understand because you know i mean myself growing up i mean you're kind of at the will of your your guardians or your parents or whoever have you, yeah. I mean, just whatever whatever they're telling you is. And for my case, it's not everybody, but for my case, yeah, it was just, if they said, yeah, a cigarette was good, you should smoke them all day. Okay, yeah, okay, mom. Right. It, 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 yeah, it was one of those things where me personally now it's it's not my thing. It never it never was. So I guess I I stayed true to my what I said way back when. I just thought differently about the people around me who do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not my thing. It never really was. Uh, people are different. It's, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. People have their own vices. So Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, um, well, speaking, all right, so let's kind of switch gears here. I know we've been talking about drugs and alcohol a little bit, but uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask you about was that when you said you, uh, you're producing music or you're... Yeah, so I produce music under the name under the artist name of Shugzy. That's S C H U G Z Y. That was a popular uh, nickname I was uh, called in college, and it just kind of stuck with me. Okay, um, I've since stopped doing it. It was just sort of a passion project that I had for a little while. I created like these. Uh, like you could probably argue that it was alternative slash lo-fi, very low BPM, very calming, soothing music. And then other tracks, I experimented with dubstep. I just, I just like to experiment in a uh, garage band. That was my digital audio workspace. 
Um, but since then, it's mainly shifted to video production and and graphic design. Was this so? You're just making beats, just like uh, yeah. I mean, no, it's no again, it's or? no. I mean, I made a couple of songs with vocals. Uh, those were fun. I actually learned how to play the ukulele. <laughs> nice respect. Yeah, I used to play bass way back when, and dropped it when you know I discovered other hobbies. Picked a ukulele up, and it's been it's been fun. I think it's been collecting dust ever since then, which is unfortunate. I'm gonna have to tune it and see what I can play on it still. But uh, but yeah, no, it's picking up an instrument's fun. So what reminded me that when you said lo-fi beats, and uh, I got into this uh, one habit while I was at work trying to look up these, you know, certain beats just to, listen, to just have something playing in the background while I was doing mm-hmm. whatever on the computer. And I think it was called Morning Cow or Yeah, Morning Cow. Is that what they, it was? Uh, yeah, no, they do uh they okay. do like 24 7 live yeah, streams. It was just continuous like on YouTube and you would just let it play. And well, shout out to them, I guess. But um but yeah, so is that kind of similar to Yeah, yeah. So I, I was very much inspired by uh, the genre known as vaporwave. And what had happened was when I was a junior in high school, I believe. Yeah. When I was a junior in high school, I discovered, I discovered many, many vaporwave artists such as Macintosh plus St. Pepsi, uh, blank Banshee. There's N X X X X X S. That's another one. Uh, these artists that just, gave me a very calm demeanor every time I listened to them. It, they always put me in a good mood. You know, you could arguably, you know, again, not my thing, but you could arguably smoke a bowl and just veg out while listening to them. Yeah. Uh, they're just, it's just sort of a fun genre that people experiment with. It's a lot of, it's a genre that is rife with copyright claims, might I add. Oh. Um, and, and I had my fair share and which is why I, stopped producing certain types of music and started producing other types of music. Yeah. A lot of sampling is done from big name eighties, predominantly seventies and eighties music, because you're sampling things like Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, uh, hip hop and funk, you know, that type of genre. Mm -hmm. That is what you're, you're sampling and you're cutting and mixing and matching to create lo-fi. And then of course you're slowing it and then reverbing it. You know, I didn't realize all that. Yeah. At all. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very uh, fine line you're walking in the uh, artistic sphere. And I just, I didn't have the patience for it because I, I wasn't about to afford a lawyer. <laughs> Cause it, it, it's, it's rough. The music industry is rough. It really is. I was talking to a, a friend the other day, and he said something along the same lines about, oh, it was like uh, he he sent me the uh, that Olivia Rodrigo or Rodriguez song. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard it. But anyway, a lot of people were giving her shit on the internet because it sounds like, uh, uh, who is it, Paranoid? Pa- not Paranoid. There's some band. Uh, pa- back- uh, Paramore? Paramore. God, yeah, there we go. Paramore, yeah. yeah the, the song sounds like that and that. Um, she sampled from her and that, you know, it's not really her song and blah, blah, blah. And we got into the conversation. It was like, well, how much, and this kind of would relate like as far as art and everything else, like how much can you just keep coming up that's original pieces without having to sample, you know, 
from right. know, other years and generations. I mean, can is there going to be a point with music? Is that it's just like I don't know what else to do anymore? That we've reached our limit on it, what to create. I guess it's it's a very touchy subject that you hit the nail on the head, frankly, does not see much. You definitely see a lot of experimentation, but you definitely don't see a lot of uniqueness. And it's unfortunate because that, you know, that is my favorite genre. You know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade the projects that I made as a result of being inspired from that for the world. But um, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. What left is there to be, you know, mined from? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, I mean, there obviously has to be just because. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you find little gems here and there. Yeah. And and I guess that's what, you know, you're potentially, you know, going to be looking for all of our lives. And everybody's brain's different. And, you know, just, you know, you've walked a different life than I have. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, like, especially with your creativity. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know if there's an ending to it all or is this something new will keep coming out, you know. But, you know, one thing I've kind of seemed like that the human species just seem to always want to make things better than they were, you know, yesterday, I guess. And that we're always finding out better ways to do things. And that's what our common theme of our species is. And then I guess we can relate that over to creativity of always, you know, finding, I guess, a new generations of arts or a new generation of something just to, you know, keep the spice up, I guess. I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know if that made any sense. But. No. Yeah. You, you definitely did. Um, you know, us humans were always designed to pursue the next best thing. And sometimes I feel as though a lot of people pursue the next best thing, even if it's not necessarily in their own best interests, which, you know, is, is another argument for another day, but <laughs> it gets into philosophical territory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I said we take it home on this one and we'll leave it as, you know, looking for the next best, next best thing. And, uh, Maybe another time we'll sit down and have a more philosophical debate on that or whatever. We'll get some drinks. We'll do it up. Hey, yeah. Man, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be definitely down for that. Um, uh, so before we let you go, um, if anybody wants to find you, look you up, all that good stuff, uh, tell, tell everybody how they do that stuff. Of course. So you can search me up at www.sebastianrshug.com. That is my first name, Sebastian, the letter R, and then my last name, S-C-H-U-G, Shug. Dot com. There you'll find sort of a breakdown of what I've been doing. Um, sort of outdated because that website was made when I still had my independent publishing company. But you can still find all my projects on there. There's hyperlinks galore. For the bulk of my content that I publish daily, you can look me up on YouTube under the name of Seabass. Uh, that's S-E-A-B-A-S-S. Uh, spelled and sound exactly like the fish. Uh, that was my name throughout most of my life, so it just kind of stuck. Uh, that's my YouTube channel. Uh, I post daily narrations there and other fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to look me up on Instagram, I post pictures sometimes. You could find me under the name uh, Dr. Sebi. That's D-R-S-E-B-B-Y. Uh, in terms of other podcasts, though, I mentioned briefly that I do have... Um, Uh, a handful of podcasts. Uh, One of them is just the audio archive for my YouTube channel. And that's, uh, it's called Shugsy's Storytime. That's where it's no video. It's just audio of all my narrations. And then my other podcast, which is co-hosted is, is known as Mars on life. There we tackle, um, you know, the arts, pop culture, 
other sort of facets of living in California. Um, spoiler alert, it's very hot. It's very miserable, at least right <laughs> now it is. And it's it's done in a similar format, actually, to this conversation here, which I found very uh, comfortable with. Good. And, and yeah, no, a lot of other podcasts need to need to take notes because some of them are just too formulaic. And it's just like, man, this is not interesting at all. Yeah. We need to, We need to have more podcasts with conversation, you know? <laughs> that's, that's how I like it, man. It's just more real. I love it. It's more authentic to me. We can kind of get to know each other besides this rehearsing answers that we've or stuff we've said before so yeah um but, yeah. Wait, but real quick when you when you said sea bass have you ever seen a movie dumb and dumber oh my god dude <laughs> i thought that's what you were I fucking love it yeah <laughs> i thought i was like is that what he got his name from uh, unfortunately no sea bass is just you know when, when you grow up with the name sebastian you start to understand why people never use your full name uh, so whether it be like Seb or Sebi or Seabass or Shug or Shugzy, you know, you get so many variations that, you know, they, they all stick, yeah. you know, when you're, when your own mother doesn't even call you by your full name, unless you're in trouble, uh-huh. uh, that that's something that you just can't take for granted. So it just stuck with me, you know, <laughs> what did mom call you? Oh, uh, she just called, she just calls me Seb, you know, I, was, I, was, uh, I like Seb. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Seb's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, you said sea bass, and I was about to lose it right there, and I didn't want to no, interrupt I, you right there. So I love Dumb and Dumber, though. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, classic movie. If you haven't seen that, people watch it. So, uh, uh, all right, let's take this one home, man. This, all right, this was a lot of fun. So it definitely was. Thank you so much for the opportunity, man. All right, good deal. We'll do it again for some drinks again next time. So all right, yeah, just let me know. <laughs> all right, all right, people. Good news and good night. All that good stuff. Take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.